One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. And on this week's New Statesman podcast... We look at Saeed Javid, the new Home Secretary. We talk about the customs union in perhaps excessive detail. And we answer a question, can Conservatives ever be progressive? Before we talk about Brexit, Stephen, and I can feel it heading down the track, much like the Brexit process itself, there's been news. News has happened. I'm living such a crazy rock and roll lifestyle that I was already asleep on Sunday night before uh, Amber Rudd resigned. That's because I know how to party. In my defence, I had been travelling this weekend. But nonetheless, Amber Rudd resigned as Home Secretary uh, about half ten on Sunday night. By the next day, Sayyid Javid was installed as the first British-Pakistani origin person to hold one of the great offices of state. There's a bit of an argument about whether Disraeli counts as the first ethnic minority. Not going to get into that here because life is too short. Nonetheless, I'm interested. What kind of stuff have you been hearing since then? Because this was not to me like when Gavin Williamson was made Defence Secretary and everybody basically poured a bucket of shit all over him, right? Actually, people kind of went, meh. Yeah, seems, I think seems reasonable. There was a lot of surprise. I include myself in that. I mean, when she went, I yeah, basically was like, well, look, I think the most Theresa May-like move is to promote Caroline Noakes from within because it's a safe move and you don't have to worry about balance. You don't have to do a broader reshuffle and it doesn't change the political problem at all. So it's a bad decision. Actually... And I think what surprised a lot of Conservative MPs is that they feel this was the right call, right? Yeah, they're pleasantly kind of like, oh, we hadn't thought about ourselves, but now you mention it, that seems quite yeah. plausible. It's... So the the junior moves that then have followed that is who gets Javid's old job? James Brokenshire gets brought back from the backbenches where he went when he So was... that's communities, housing, and I can't remember the other things government. that are now attached to it. So he left the cabinet because he was having an operation on his lung, I believe, yep. uh, and had previously been at Northern Ireland, where it's fair to say he did not have a great run of things. But then also the new minister for women, I bet you're on 10 hooks about who that is. It's Penny Morden. It is, who's also at Diffid. I think I might have even stolen this from you. I went on Women's Hour this week and they said, so Diffid and Minister Women, do they belong together? And I was like, what do you mean, Minister for Low Priorities in a Tory government? Booyah! But I may have nicked that from you, so sorry. It's fine. Just goes on my enemy, enemies list. And I'm now going to nick uh, an opinion from you, which is that they really should just get rid of it. They oh. don't care about it. It's just one of those things where, like, if, if that department just shunts around quite this much, partly because why couldn't... 
Sagittarius had the women and a quality. Well, right. Also, he's um yeah. So this is the hilarious thing about it is that he was previously a qualities minister when it was Nikki Morgan because she didn't at the time back gay marriage, so she couldn't be a qualities minister given that she did not believe in equality in this uh, fairly flagship instance. So clearly, what could have happened would have happened was like it would have been man put in charge of struggling feminist movement. But if you're going to treat it as a proper policy based department rather than as an advocacy role slash attempt to get more women into cabinet actually you can have a bloke do it like if it's if it's just a legit if you're just saying this is a legitimate policy area yeah if it has a meaningful role it i actually weirdly i realized my hobby horse of expand the cabinet office very rarely gets an airing in this podcast perhaps that because even i horse. sense that there is a boredom threshold for our, our listeners somewhere but there are two ways to do it you either hive it off you make it a separate department with its own powers or just accept them then you don't care, you don't about, care it. about it that's my problem with it so i think there is an issue about the fact that it's not seen as a ticket to promotion and also amber rudd it turns out was i didn't realize this was doing it unpaid on top of being home secretary which is like the most women's unpaid labor thing i've ever heard do you want to do this job that was just going to make you wildly unpopular involves extra work and then not actually get any extra money for it i mean to be fair Considering the circumstances of her resignation... We should be glad that she wasn't doing any work. I mean, yeah, maybe she was getting her own back for not being paid for women's inequalities by... I mean, let's just not exactly being wholly <laughs> on top of. Yeah, I think that's true. But yeah, my so in Labour, it's a full shadow cabinet role. And, you know, the suspicion always was that it was being used as a way to beef up, you know, women's representation. But actually, Labour now has a gender balanced shadow cabinet, as far as I'm aware. I think that's changed, uh, has it? Yeah, it hasn't changed. The interesting thing about it, right, is so Corbyn inherited it as a separate post. Part of it becoming a separate post was, in the beginning, Ed Miliband gave it to Yvette Cooper at Shadow Home Secretary. And that then was when the... Theresa May had it, presumably, when she was real Home Secretary. Um, no. Because... Was that Maria Miller at DCMS? No, because oh. Yv- Yvette had it when she was briefly Shadow Foreign Secretary in his oh. hilarious first reshuffle. When it was like <laughs> one of those things where you went down the whole list and you're like, wow, you have played a lot of people out of position here, haven't you? Like, it was basically because it was... Because obviously... Ed, I know, Ed that reshuffle, reshuffle was, was like the first time I played Championship Manager 97-98 season and I didn't realise how football worked and I was playing Ian Wright in goal for half a season. And that was that reshuffle. Just that one little thing sort of just like, I do not want Ed Balls to be Chancellor and therefore every decision I make will be re- will be refracted through that central aim. And Yvette had women and equalities. Then the leader's office realised that one of the people who is one of the main threats to your chances of remaining leader, having a post which gives her licence to go to every local party and go, do you know what I care about? Fairness. Do you know what's important? Women being given a fair term is a really stupid move. So in then, I think the 2013 reshuffle, they very astutely went, no, 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 you're not having this anymore. But because she was obviously the most senior woman, they kind of had to, like, the only way you can get away with doing that is... Okay, not, we care about women so much that we're going to make it a whole a position job. on itself. Well, that's not, I mean, do you know what? That, that is, bespeaks the commitment to feminism that I've always seen from both the institutions of the Tory and the Labour Party. I mean, the, the thing is, it was Harriet Harman's job originally in Tony Blair's government. And, you know, say what you like about Harriet. Actually, on this podcast, you are not allowed to say anything nasty about Harriet. But she bulldozed through a lot of stuff for women. It's now much harder to do that, given that... The domestic violence bill is kind of one of the only big pieces of legislation going through. Women's refugees funding looks kind of under threat. So I think the job of the Minister for Women in that circumstance is to say things like, hey, do you know what everyone hates? The rape clause. Hey, do you know what's really unfair? The way that universal credit is paid to one person in the household rather than to the individuals. Well, it's weird because I think let's say that Labour gained 10 more seats, right? And you'd have a Labour government which couldn't do anything. Weirdly, women and equalities would be one of the few good jobs because if you imagine that you have a different executive, there are 
a lot of women equalities issues for which there is a comfortable majority even in this House of Commons, let alone one where you have 10 extra Labour or 10 extra well, Lib Dem or 10 extra pay gap whatever. stuff and actually then for bashing the BBC is Tory red meat. Like, why did the, all the BBC's pay gap stuff get so much airing? Well, it's because the right-wing papers have got animus against the BBC. So a kind of smart, I was going to say the female version of Michael Gove, but I regret that, could have made a real you know, impact in the brief in the way that he's doing in, in you know his tirade against plastic straws. They could have done it, but they're not. Anyway, so yes, I agree. I think make it a proper position. Stop shunting around the government equalities office between departments. It's embarrassing. Or just admit that you don't care about women actually enough to give them a proper cabinet post. Saeed Javid, things I know about Saeed Javid, Star Trek fan, therefore has, a, I'm, I believe, a properly a great coherent political philosophy about what he will do if he encounters new life forms. Always good, always reassuring to know. His politics, I had all him... I mean, he ran on a joint ticket for the Tory leadership with Stephen, sexting Stephen Crabb who I wouldn't have put in the same wing of the party as him. I would have said Stephen Crabbe was more from the kind of Christian soft right, whereas I'd always seen Saeed Javid as being from more the Thatcherite, libertarian-y sort of wing. Am I, uh, did I misread him? No, so yeah, Saeed Javid is dry, as they used to say in the 80s. Like he's a, a, some people indeed say he's still dry now. Boom, I'm here all week. So no, he's, he's, he's kind of a classical Thatcherite in many ways. However... I mean, one of the reasons why they ran on a joint ticket is they were not strong enough to get mm. the nominations together and also partly because there was this idea it, it lent bona fides and it kind of had this, like, we are the new generation yeah. kind of vibe to it. We got Our tent is big. Yeah. And he did run on and has, you know, is into infrastructure spending, right? The You know, if Crab had this whole thing of I will spend 60 billion or, you know, like kind of yeah, a quite large sum of money on on public investment. So crucially, I mean, it is one of the, as I've said in my column this week, one of the things that May is weirdly actually quite good at, considering she's not that great at most aspects of being prime minister, is reshuffles in terms of getting what she wants out of this, which is she has a fire break. She has someone who, you know, like... Well, he came into the Commons, didn't he, and basically smacked down Diane Abbott saying, you know, there are ethnic minorities on the Tory side too. I'm also quite angry about this, which was quite a baller move to do about three hours after you become Home Secretary. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a nonsense reply, right? Because ultimately, like, okay, yes, Diane Abbott doesn't have a monopoly of anger. She can, however, legitimately claim to have a monopoly of opposition to the actual (laughs) measures. Uh, You know, like just being cross about them afterwards is kind of a bit... Yeah. A bit second order. But it's, I mean, but that made the Tory party feel a lot happier, right? That they wanted to see someone kind of going out and uh, and, and making those arguments. But also he, he tossed the phrase hostile environment under the bus, the bus here being filled with immigration enforcement officers, right? He said he wanted to call it a compliant environment, which is also, again, a nonsense. But it was a fairly sort of savage piece of kind of, hey, Theresa May, your positioning on this is very, very consistently bad for many years now. I think crucially, the thing that then he gives them on the Windrush slash Commonwealth slash hostile environment crisis, which looks set to keep running, is that he is someone who does genuinely understand why this has upset so many people. And if he's on a phone in about it, is going to be able to get through it without, you know, I'm, I'm not saying Amber Rudd, you know, obviously Amber Rudd personally, yada, yada, all of that kind of stuff. But when she spoke in the comments, she talked about the difficulty faced by this cohort, which is just like so obviously like here is a bureaucratic problem. And I, whereas yeah. like this is someone who, you know, will use the word these British people and will understand why people are upset about, which will get them through a lot of the, the difficult encounters with voters bit. 
However, in terms of actually fixing the problem, um, there's this weirdness that the Tory party at the moment is drawing a lot of comfort from 1992, right? Yeah, and you can see, see why, right? They They had three elections on the bounce where they've stayed in power. The last election, the opposition had a, a brilliant defeat and everyone kind of expects the opposition to go on better and, and form a government after the next election. And then and they've got this woman prime minister who's very divisive and who people don't like. And then out of nowhere comes a man from an ordinary background who is less divisive, has a weird kind of dull charisma, and he unexpectedly wins them a fourth term. I know, but people sort of saying that about Philip Hammond about six months ago. So I just think it's one of those things where it's like, like, stop trying to make 1992 happen, the Tory party. But also, crucially, the thing about 1992 is although all of those candidate things undoubtedly helped, they also abandoned the poll tax. They crucially abandoned the policy that was causing them so much pain. I don't see how they can abandon Brexit, which is one of the policies causing them so much pain. They don't want to soften up on the cuts and they don't want to really, they want to rebrand as opposed to abandon the hostile environment. So, yeah, although they all got very chipper about that sort of mocked up poster of Saeed Javid saying, you know, what does the Conservative Party have to offer a working class boy from Rochdale? They made him Home Secretary. I just, yeah, I agree. But the thing I would worry me at Labour is I just saw the YouGov leader poll, you know, who will make the best leader, which is always a good, you know, thing to check against the headline poll numbers. And Jeremy Corbyn is still trailing that by five points or so, and actually don't know is only one point behind Theresa May. There's just a big... His, his numbers do seem to be getting worse again. Now, obviously Labour will hope, and it's not an unreasonable one, that they can they can do what they did in the last election again. and they can More TV exposure, more cuddly yeah. Jeremy, more socialist Santa, more rallies. Yeah, which I mean is not, it's not unreasonable. Yeah, and they've got some really good and popular policies now, right? They're actually, bus free bus travel for under 25, stuff like that as retail policies, I think is is quite sellable. The question I have, right, is one. So, you know, obviously we are saying this before the local elections. Many of you will be listening after the local elections. Labour, okay, for, for a variety of reasons, some of which down to choice, have comprehensively lost the spin war about the local elections. Yeah, anything other than them absolutely sweeping the board will be represented as a bit disappointing. Yeah, yeah. does that augur for an inability to control and and in any way shape the discourse in the next election, particularly seeing as, so where was one of the major areas of, of, of kind of joy for Labour where they could get their message out and they had more of a fair fight? Facebook. It feels to me well, the algorithm has very than, much than, changed. Then Facebook will be a, a politically helpful place for the Labour Party come 2022. Hey, do you know what happened to me this week? Someone came around to canvas me from the Labour Party. Wow. I felt that was an unnecessarily tough gig for someone. Yeah, Jonathan accused me of coming down to the door to answer it just so purely so I could be recognised by them. And I would like to say on the record that is definitely not what happened and I definitely did not come down to go, hello, you may recognise me from my new statesman column. Did they recognise you? Yeah, thankfully, yes, they did. I was, <laughs> was going to say, I mean, I just think that's a big risk. No, I was. I actually genuinely was, was, was interested to talk to them about Jeremy Corbyn. He was a very nice young man. Oh God, I've got to the age now where I'm describing people as a very nice young man. And on that bombshell... <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello. 
And now, Stephen, do we have to talk about Brexit? We do, I'm afraid. So unfortunately, I was not able to find anybody to give me a good time in Derry. Although I met some really great activists over there on about abortion, which I was writing about. I did kind of have a bit of a scope around. I think it really opened my eyes to a thing that we say quite glibly about kind of just not understanding the texture of life. So the local playhouse, for example, had a play on that was a reworking of the odd couple called the Bog Couple. The year is 1976. A Catholic and a Protestant have both been kicked out by their wives and they have to live together in a flat. And clearly that's the kind of thing that speaks to the audience that would be going to watch that play. You come in, obviously, from the airport, hilariously tiny regional airports. I love them. And someone has scribbled out London from the Londonderry sign, right? Like, there's a mural saying, you know, about the number of Protestants who moved out of the West Bank of Derry. You know, there's obviously the Bloody Sunday Memorial. So I think it, it just, it is it was a good and salutary mind. And people would say things to me that obviously they all understood had a, an inflection of... Catholic or Protestant or DUP or Sinn Féin or whatever, that I just didn't intuitively get, right? There was a whole discourse happening. And I think that I, I wish that more of the people involved in the process would spend more time in Northern Ireland and actually soak up some of that fabric, you know, of these incredibly recent events in kind of historical terms. I think in general, right, this Brexiteer fantasy, which at least, you know, at least now has kind of been put to words, right? The explicit proposal is we would like something which will involve minimal goods checking. However, I do not think you can go to Derry or indeed anywhere on the Irish border and look at any sign and not go, oh, well, look, there's been some vandalism and think that you can have even token border checks that will not become the site for, yes, petty acts of vandalism at first. However, you have the question of like, well, when you send someone to repair it, who who goes to repair it? What community are they from? Do you have someone to secure the border infrastructure? And very rapidly, you are in a space where the political trade-offs are not good. But at least now they are explicitly saying they, they think that the right for Britain to strike its own trade deals is then they are willing to have a hard border to achieve that aim, which was the obvious logic of the policy before, but at least now... Oh, it's an overwhelming relief. I just think this is this is the same thing that, you know, this is one of the reasons that covering politics for the last year has been so awful, right? It's just been like, but you're just being dishonest with me. Just say the logical consequences of what you want to happen and we can discuss whether or not we want to have them. Don't say to me, well, of course, what I want is for everyone to have a unicorn. And you go, well, we can't get that without purchasing a lot of unicorns which currently don't exist. And they and then when people refuse to enter any further discussion like at least now we can say i don't think the prospect of us striking a trade deal with singapore is worth potentially civil discourse and you know and reopening a very recent conflict that's not a trade-off i'm willing to make but at least you have acknowledged that that is the trade-off you are willing to make yeah although i think the brexit is as well as that problem right so they are right to say that the pm's custom partnership plan is a joke right it, it is not reality based either it is I think if you're being flattering to Theresa May, it is a Trojan horse um, for staying in the customs for staying union. in the customs union by another name. If you're being unflattering to Theresa May, it's a brain fart that isn't worthy of anyone's time <laughs> or or you know energy discussing in any great detail. But their difficulty, right? And indeed, the 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 thing that it is hard to see a resolution to, right? Solution one is you have a bespoke status for Northern Ireland and a customs frontier in the Irish Sea. Well, that is just unacceptable to the House of Commons as it is currently constituted and to the government as and it to the is currently is sustained. Yeah. Option two is you have 
no hard border anywhere and you have the United Kingdom within the customs union and within the regulatory orbit of the of the EU. Not acceptable to majority of Tory MPs, but acceptable to a majority within the House of Commons. And acceptable, let's be honest, to most people in the country, right? Uh, actually, um, Duncan Robinson of the FT has sent me some research this morning about the fact that most Brexiteers were actually much more protection. You know, they're not concerned about free trade deals at all. Like, actually, that's it, that is not. I just I made this argument to the face of Jacob Rees-Mogg, who looked at me. I was like, I just don't think this is why people voted for Brexit. Oh no! Stop. I mean, <laughs> Stop. This thing is like there is. Stop it. There is not a democratic argument that you can go. Oh, you know, the, the customs. It's what people voted for. Yeah. Well, but I barely heard any reference to the single market. I remember we were all kind of a bit bowled over when Michael Gove went on the Andrew Marshall and went. Of course, we will leave the single market. And but I think the thing went, is, I think the single market is at least implicit in the we will be able to control immigration. Yeah. And on the other side, we will our our economic prosperity will take a hit. Right. Those. But there was the no campaign doesn't yeah. make any sense without those there was no bus that said like we've got strong opinions on poultry tariffs do you yeah the whole thing is is kind of farcical and then crucially of course this thing which is always missing and in some ways i guess it's revealing i saved it till last is the eu 27 or well, the idea the that EU there's 20, another yeah. partner in the negotiation yeah like the eu 27 is is not is yeah, it is either because there does have to be a customs frontier somewhere if we're outside the customs union the regulatory orbit and so from their perspective and indeed, the perspective of every everyone who understands how customs frontiers work, you have a customs frontier in the Irish Sea or you have one on the island of Ireland. Those are your options or the United Kingdom remains within the customs union and the regulatory orbit. The difficulty is it is really hard to see how those competing interests can be reconciled. Um, and perhaps it does mean we're going to have another election. Well, that's what that is. My final question about this is: I have felt like maybe for the last year, I've just been like, "Am I missing something? Is there some way out of this that I'm just not seeing? Like, is there some level of fudge you can apply that is acceptable to enough people that you can get it through the Commons and not have Theresa May brought down? Maybe it's possible that we will just stay in the customs union and there will be a Tory rebellion, but not a big enough one to bring down Theresa May. That is a possible." Option? I just think the the logic of Labour's uh, ambiguous referendum position slash anti yeah obviously their main Brexit position is to defeat the government right but the thing which unites every Labour supporter pretty much in terms of how Remain all day is to vote down the government's deal mm. not enough access not enough freedom right but there is a form because yeah, it will always than, be worse than what we've currently got in some way right yeah. even if some magic unicorn thing is is also better yeah there's a there is a form of words which allows the Labour Party to appeal to both Remainers and Leavers that. I think leads you to vote down the final deal if you mm. are the Labour Party, and so I think the difficulty then is: is can she lose any Tory MPs? And possibly the answer is no, unless it's a very soft. I mean, this is the thing is I feel then basically the only Brexit deal which passes is one which is sufficiently soft that enough pro-European Labour MPs basically think that they, then this, this deal is sufficiently good that they are willing to... That's um, when it becomes tactically interesting because the converse argument on the Tory side is that if we lose this, will we lose Brexit altogether? And I'm not sure that's a fear that I think is particularly should be particularly strong in them, but it is one weirdly that I feel has been strangely strong oh, in them. Yeah, like, I mean, like the fear that it's all slipping I away mean, from actually us. Actually, they would be, from the long-term health of Brexit perspective, I think, yeah, a kind of 52-48% Brexit or even a 50-50 Brexit... I think basically you've got a better chance of an enduring and an eventually harder Brexit, right? So actually, if you really if care you start about, with any Brexit at all, if you start with any Brexit, whereas if you start with like a smash into the ground Brexit, 
the chance of the political coalition for it evaporating is a lot stronger. And the chances of the younger generation deciding they think Brexit is good after all and not just losing the rerun through demographic change, I think, again, is significantly worse. I mean, partly on the Irish border issue, there is a simple solution if you really want to sign your own trade deals, which is to sign up to the regulatory orbit now and hope that later you have a parliamentary situation where you can move the customs frontier to the Irish Sea. Yeah, if you had a majority of 50 MPs, then you could afford to lose some. But do you know what happened? Theresa May, she ran an election, Stephen, and she lost a majority. Still funny. And now it's time for a section we like to call... You Ask Us. Indeed. And you have asked us, is there such a thing as a progressive conservative? Which I think is a question about some Twitter beef about something say it, that say it, Owen say it, Jones say it. tweeted in which he said there was no such thing as a progressive Tory and then they were all the same and some people got very sort of exercised about this. I would like to lay down a marker here with people sending us you asks us, you asks us, I don't know how to say that, which is that I cannot, we cannot turn this into like a, a, a proxy war with Owen Jones saying things on Twitter because he's on Twitter a lot and he says a lot of things. But once, we'll give you this one because it is an interesting question. My issue with it is the idea that you don't... What's the point of saying it? I guess the point of saying it is to say that there is no... You know, like In the way that my grandmother used to say the only good German is a dead German. Not, wow. She'd lived through the war, you know? It was a tough I mean, time. Yeah, but like my great-grandfather literally changed his name to escape the Nazis. And although he often did say Germanophobic things, he didn't say that. Like. <laughs> right. But then this is the kind of thing is that, you know, the only good MP is a Labour MP, right? If that's your aim is to say, you know, uh, be straightforwardly Labour partisan, Labour are the only ones who can deliver what you want, don't even look at other parties, then, uh, then there's a point to saying that. But it's not true in the sense of the fact that much as it bugs me, the Tory party did deliver gay marriage, right? That is a, a social issue in which they're... Well, the Lib Dem, a Lib Dem minister and then Labour MPs and Lib Dem MPs and then like a minority of Conservative MPs delivered equal marriage. Oh, sapus. But I, you know, I think that... Justice I, for Lynn Featherstone. It's true. She's undersung. But I do think also I would like to make, you know, lay down heartily on the record that I found it much don't know if I'm easier is the right word, but I prefer the social attitudes of David Cameron to say those of Jacob Rees-Mogg. So I think the, the thing is that is, a crazy like that is not a crazy thing to say that one of them is more progressive than the other, even if not by the standards of overall progressive. Well, I guess it also means what do you mean by progressiveness, right? Do you mean progressive economics? Do you mean redistributive taxes, or do you mean social liberalism? So I think kind of the the, the etymology of this kind of question, which we got from an astonishing eight of you is essentially whenever Owen Jones does his unseat tweets in like a campaign, you know, in a marginal where where the conservative is, you know, on the center right, people go, oh, but how could you possibly be targeting a Remainer or someone who voted for equal marriage or yada, yada, yada. Now, this is a stupid question, right? Ultimately, first past the post means you can't have a campaign based on like, oh, who are the nice ones, right? You know, this takes who, me right know. back to the heady days of the Women's Equality Party, right? And the idea that they would only stand against people who didn't sign their pledge. And you're like, no, no, you have to stand against everyone. That's how. That's yeah, like, yeah, like, if, yeah. So like, yeah, if, if if in one constituency six of the candidates have said that, you know, is your poster going to include a disclaimer? Yeah, I mean, exactly, right? It's and he gets a whole amount of nonsense whenever this happens. However, the counter-argument that he's gone for, which has exercised a surprising number of you, 
I don't think it's a very good one, right? Because ultimately, obviously, yeah, and we see this whenever there's a Tory leadership campaign in which, you know, people around the left go, God, I hope it's not Andrea Leadsom or Michael Gove or whatever, right? Obviously, there are orders of preference about what one would like to happen on the right, even though obviously the central preference is I would like as many MPs who do not want a Conservative Prime Minister in office. I also think um, it's not unreasonable to have a series of priorities in terms of those unseat campaigns. I think that, for example, they should prioritise unseating Ian Duncan Smith in Chingford over someone like Heidi Allen, right? I just think if I was going to... Heidi pr- Allen isn't going to be on uns- uh, priority for unseating because she's the mm. MP for South Cambridgeshire. Okay, but um, you, know what I, you know what I mean? I think I would... It, it, again, it's like the kind of the thing you get on the left, which, you know, well, that great Nye Bevan quote about the language of priorities is the religion of socialism, right? There are things that I want and I want them in a descending order. I want Ian Duncan Smith to lose his seat a lot more than I want, lot, you know, are, than I want Johnny Mercer, who was another one whose name came up. But there are up. basically only like 40 seats, right? Like, you you, you cannot change the government. Well, okay, you can change the government and then have, like, the world's most hilariously weak and banter-filled, like, Labour minority government. But you cannot have a meaningful change <laughs> of, what the, hilarious of what the executive yeah. can do without unseating Johnny Mercer, Amber Rudd, yada, yada, yada. And, like, ultimately there isn't an order or, you know, kind of this... This is the thing, right? Like... I kind of feel that the the people who get very annoyed about unseat targeting marginal conservatives are like the weird centre-left cousin of the astonishingly annoying people who during the conservative leadership election would tweet things like, you know, when people were like, oh, well, thank goodness they're both women, they'd be like, how can this be all right? It's just like, you should want a Labour candidate. It's just like, well, there isn't a Labour candidate in the conservative leadership race, you unutterable moron. And ultimately, <laughs> like, there, there isn't like an election, you know, there, there isn't a way of, of winning power if you are any non-conservative party, which doesn't run through some Defeating nice conservatives conservative in urban party. remain areas and like some like economically more redistributive conservatives in small towns. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Helen Lewis, and my co-presenter, Stephen Bush. We're recorded by India Bork and produced by Caroline Crampton. Our theme music is from the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Why not send us a question or indeed go together with seven of your friends and uh, send us a question as happened this week? We're at Stephen KB and at Helen Lewis on Twitter. Listener.